Hello and welcome to Epic Healing Transformations. The purpose of this podcast is to create a safe place to heal, transform, and evolve. Your host, Michelle Manning, is a creator of the quantum soul clearing process. Each week, we'll be bringing you new and innovative ways to heal and transform every area of your life, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, and financially, so you are free to bring your gifts and talents into the world to become the best version of who you are designed to be and to help revolutionize the world. This show will inspire you, lift you, connect you, and give you access to the most cutting-edge healing resources anywhere on the planet. This is the Epic Healing Transformations Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Epic Healing Transformations. I'm Michelle Manning, your host and curator. And today, my guest is Liz Hargraves. She was a pioneer in banking, and she adopted this masculine characteristic traits to break the promotion barriers for women. She experienced a roller coaster ride of successes, failures, self-doubts, criticisms, and conflicts. And she played these energies out in her personal life as frustration, bitterness, skepticism, health issues, and divorce. It was a very slippery slope. And then came hope. Liz, welcome to the show. We are going to have a fabulous conversation about professional images and how they can actually be the death of you. Tell me what that actually means. Thanks very much for having me on, Michelle. It's great to be with you here. Yes, professional images and how they can be the death of you. Wow. I mean, it's got something to do with uh, inventing yourself to be a professional image rather than being able to be yourself in your professional image. And I think a lot of women, especially, I'm going to age both of us here for just a second, but I mean, you know, those of us who started our careers in the 70s, 80s and 90s really had to adopt these personas that weren't the true us in order to feel like we could compete in a man's world. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, not just in order to feel we could compete, but to actually compete. Because there's no doubt in my mind that at the time I was first promoted to being the first woman in in my field, I wouldn't have got that had I not behaved like a man. That simple. Well, they were used to the good old boys club. In order to enter that club, we had to be part of that club in some fashion. And it's directly in opposition to most of us who are women. (laughs) That just isn't our energy. (laughs) That's right. Exactly right. But in actual fact, what it was, was they couldn't imagine that a nice, sweet woman could be a tough banker. Right. (laughs) And I think it was probably in a way true because the client, on the other hand, who was likely to be a man as well, wouldn't have accepted the gentle woman as a banker. So to some extent, it was needed, but that was, what, 30 years ago now, and we then had the chance to backpedal a bit and not become quite so masculine about our behaviours, but many of us still do it. So this actually led to a transformation, and you said, you know, I was driving, and I ended up taking a wrong turn. So tell me, tell me what that means. (laughs) Well, that was really funny because I was going through some stresses at work and, you know, it was actually quite likely that I was going to have to either resign or be sacked, you know. It wasn't that type of moment in my career. And one Saturday, my husband and I were driving along and we decided we needed a cup of tea or coffee or something like that. So I was driving. My husband said to me, turn right here. He meant turn left, but I had turned right. I turned right. We found a coffee shop which it turned out was right next door to the shop of a psychic reader. 
<laughs> no coincidence there, although <laughs> no, <laughs> hilarious. And we happened in, and it, that was where it started, really. That was what really did trigger turning things around. So let's back up just a little bit, because it sounds like you were at this real massive crisis point. And, you know, when our lives are going along and we're making money and, you know, we're living the dream or whatever it is, sometimes we're doing it more on autopilot. That's maybe not the right word. We start out with a very clear intention of what we're doing. And then that clear intention takes us down a path that ends up being both the trap and the gift at the same time. So, and for a lot of us, it creates this massive dark night of the soul for you. Tell me your story a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. I wouldn't say it was a massive dark night of the soul. Actually, maybe it was. But anyway. <laughs> Been resolved. Um, it was manageable, right? But in essence, um, yes, I was this career banker and, you know, I had high uh, expectations of myself and I actually took some time off to have the children and I decided to parent them. When I returned to banking, I was somewhat disappointed by the lack of progress of women in the space I was working in. Mm. I returned to the unit that I'd left when I was pregnant and at a more senior role and I couldn't get on with the value set of my people leader. It was awful. It was soul destroying, actually soul destroying to see how he would treat uh, the rest of the staff there, including me. But, you know, I was bigger and older than some of them, so I can take that on. But some of these younger people were <laughs> being belittled, etc. let's just say. It sounds like emotionally battered. Yeah, that was his methodology. And it was out of date, even at the time. But that's what was happening. And I decided to leave that particular role and go to something else. It was at that time that I was able to turn that around into something much more positive. But you know, I used to go home every night and hop in the shower and wash away the day because it was so awful. I'd try not to talk to my husband too much before I got yeah. washed, <laughs> washed it all away. <laughs> it was awful. And you know, <laughs> try not to, you know, kick the cat. I'd never would do that. But <laughs> but those cranky feelings, they've got to go somewhere. I mean, and you know, and what's funny, so from an evolutionary standpoint, men need that transition time between work and home, home and work, and between certain activities. And so it's funny that you would, from that masculine standpoint, also require that transition time. I've got to get this energy washed off of me. I need to be able to transition into home in order to be in this relationship and in order to be present for my kids and not feel like I'm going to kill something or just, you know, download all that negative energy. So anyway, keep going. <laughs> just interesting observation. Yeah, you're right. And I think it was um, a sign of the times to some extent, because uh, since then, I, I mean, more recently, I've had experiences with work where that's not been the case. And it's a more more about modern management, oh, yeah. uh, I think. Absolutely. So take us to the psychic. Tell us what happened. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I decided to get a reading and, you know, why not? You know, one of those why right. not moments. And once it, I opened that Pandora's box, <laughs> let's just say... <laughs> Tell me everything. Give me everything. I want to know everything. So I must admit, I've done quite a bit of work around that sort of work, you know, psychic work and energy healing work, all sorts of things. And it's actually reinforced what I felt I already knew. Well, that's interesting. So what did she say? Oh, what did she say? Actually, she went on to say that she felt that I was going to do something at a more corporate level, at a training level in corporate. 
not work inside the corporate as an employee. Oh, interesting. And that's exactly what's happened, hasn't it? It is exactly what's happened, yeah. It's still one-to-one at the moment, although I'm wanting to get a mass market uh, offering out next year, yeah, 2019. But yes, it did uh, transpire that it was a bit more as she indicated. But, you know, when you first get this first sort of foray into this type of thing, it doesn't make a lot of sense because there's a lot more to come after the first one to build the picture effectively. Well, and I don't think we can hear the whole thing to begin with. I mean, when you first step into that realm of spirit and that type of alternative communication, we'll just call it, when you're in that very linear brain, you can't hear oftentimes that messaging from the spirit. So sometimes it takes more than one foray in, (laughs) to say the very least. Definitely. And it's also hard perhaps to run it in parallel with a corporate environment and to you know to sort of feel that you're not going to lose your connection with your very logical thinking mind that comes with the corporate and your identity yeah correct there was this connection i i actually remember when first i was in banking that we used to use intuition when we were making lending deals really we did yeah it was back in the 80s and early into the 90s and we were trained that Part of what we would do, we still kind of do it a bit, but nothing like as much. A good weighting was given to how we would feel about a deal or how we would feel about a principal who's uh, coming for a loan. And that got dropped away totally, I think, really. Post-95, 96, after that time, I actually said to one of the guys who heads the lending units, if you like, the approval unit, I said, why don't we reintroduce intuition into, or, you know, that sort of decisioning into that sort of aspect into decisioning? And he said, well, that would be guesswork. Okay, I'll leave that. (laughs) Well, for those of us who know differently, it it actually erases the guesswork. (laughs) We laugh. (laughs) Yeah. So that was interesting, I felt. And I understood where he was at. He'd come along to that you know, that, that was how decisioning had evolved in that time. That's fascinating. So in your toughest times then, what was really happening for you? Kind of go into what the emotions, what was happening with your physical body, what was happening in your marriage, what was happening in personal life? Well, I think I was pretty awful. <laughs> most of us are not at our best during our most difficult times. Let's just be very clear about okay. that. So this isn't about shame, blame, it's or guilt. Been... This is just... Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'll be cut. Be... Be kind to me on this yeah. one for now, we will for the kind. moment. You know, fear, a lot of fear in the morning about going off to work, which I typically don't experience. I really enjoy work, but I was experiencing that sort of fear. Oh my gosh, I've got to get up and go to work. I hate that dread. I did it. I always did it. And that fear of walking in and that person might be there or that person might be there. <laughs> Which is, oh, please, you know. I get it. I do. I remember my corporate life and thinking, how many days of sick leave do I have? And can I actually afford to take one? And I hated that feeling of dread and waking up. Did you ever do this? Waking up in the middle of the night going, oh my God, I have to be up in three hours. How am I going to, and I, oh, that for me was the worst. That was the worst period of time, I think, in my life was dealing with all of that uncertainty and the craziness of corporate and trying to be something that was not true to who I am. 
Yeah, I had a similar thing, but I used to actually get up and do work because I could work from home. So at two in the morning, we can typically get a nudge to wake up at two o'clock just by our uh, biology and so on. And I would get up and I would do two or three hours of work and go back to bed. It was a mistake, but I was desperate. So, you know, I just did it to try and make a difference. And you know what? It did not progress my work outcomes at all. Interesting. So it was a total waste of time and total waste of effort. In the end, I did elect to move on because I could see it was really broken. You know, it wasn't something I could fix. So I moved on and gave myself a break by taking on an easier role for a while. Good for you. So what were some of the feelings that were coming up? You said I wasn't a very nice person or very good person at the time. What were the effects? Because for me, I ended up, I mean, at my very worst, my issue, of course, is rheumatoid arthritis. And so my arthritis flares were just off the charts, which, you know, gave me an excuse for a six day, which it was like, hmm, there might be a little something here. <laughs> but for you, what was going on in your body? What was going on, you know, that chemical cascade? Yeah. Well, really, it was what looks like weight gain. And I suppose in a way it is, part, certainly it is, but a lot of it is related to inflammation and particularly across the stomach. Especially for women. Yeah. And energy was an issue for me as well. So I found a need to use quite a lot of protein to stay energized enough to get through the day and the night that I would work. And uh, <laughs> yes, that's so silly. So silly. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really ate too much protein. So it was partly what I did and partly that I felt the desperation around food to give me the energy to stay awake, so to speak. Also, at a psychological level, I'm, you know, I really was feeling a fraud. I am actually a really good banker. I really do know about lending. But at that time, I doubted it. <laughs> what in actual fact was happening was because I wasn't comfortable with the environment I was in, I couldn't bring myself to bring deals in. So I had to fail. I didn't want my clients to come into the environment, so I didn't bring them. <laughs> I didn't go and seek people. And that was my role. Fascinating. So in that way, it was a form of self-sabotage, and yet it was also a form of survival. Would that be accurate? Well, in terms of our personal brand and reputation, it was about survival. Yeah, it was about maintaining the integrity of the yeah. brand. It was a personal integrity piece, really. That's what got in the way of surviving in the role, if you like. I could have played the game uh, like other people do, but no. But at the expense of your own uh, personal integrity. And that's, I mean, when you betray yourself, that's the ultimate betrayal, in my opinion. Well, clearly that's how it played out for me. I wasn't certain that that's what I would right. do, but it is how it played out. I know I've always had a high integrity. Uh, and I've said that to people and people go, yeah, but all bankers do. And I go, mm, well, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I'm with you. But having been through that experience, I realized exactly how high my integrity is. And that is what got in the way. That was the real me. And I couldn't put that person aside anymore and be the corporate. I don't want to say slave because that's not right. I really do love the, the banking piece. But in that particular environment, it was too great a, a stress for me to work too far outside Absolutely. my values. So how did you turn it around? Obviously, something came to, you know, an ultimatum or a climax. Tell me how you turned it around. Well, I ended up leaving that particular role and going to a lesser role, which allowed me a bit of other time. I, I had some family needs to follow up to, which I did at the same time as this, in this lesser role. And while I was there, I explored this energetic work 
and so on with this psychic healer that I was spending a lot of time with and, uh, and training with. We sat in a circle quite often. It was really lovely, good personal development for me. And I ended up, so in this other role, I came across another old fashioned manager and I thought, oh no, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I was able to manage this one because I had some energetic skills. I was able to manage the energy of that relationship wow. in the end. It took me a little while to get the hang of it, but I did. At first it was getting pretty rugged and I thought, oh, don't tell me I'm going to have to leave again. No, this is not right. You know, there's something I can do here. <laughs> and that's what I did. I really just changed the energy of the situation. I love that you recognized your personal power in this and that you used the skills that you had been taught to begin to change the outcome. Because oftentimes, you know, our biggest challenge you know, initially we run from it or we walk away from something, but it comes back up again. And it's that bullying. It's that disempowerment that shows up in a different way. And so this other manager sounds like kind of a carbon copy in some ways of the previous person. It was like, no, I'm not going to do this again. And so using those skills and using what you knew, I think is such a powerful statement about a personal empowerment. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. Without a word of a lie, I set up an energetic curtain, a barrier through which he was able to walk only if he was going to work positively with me. And honestly, I heard him coming up to me, grump, 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 and he walked through the curtain and his voice changed. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> I know. So, you know, laugh quietly to myself while he we're doing business and then afterwards think oh my goodness that really did work and it was better for him as well as being better for me so walk us through that whole process because i'm hearing millions of people go how'd she do that <laughs> yeah and wanting to know how <laughs> well it's based on intention and really intention is so incredibly powerful and we need to be careful of it for that reason. So in this case, I planned the night before how I would go about this because, you know, you get into the office and it's pretty busy straight away. And my intent, my strategy was to go into the office, sit for just three or four minutes and set up the situation. I was in a, an open plan office. So my desk had two walls going to a point, if you like, and it was my back that was exposed. So I sat at my desk People couldn't come in from either side, but they could come from behind. And I effectively imagined in my mind's eye that I was dropping a curtain behind me, about a metre behind me, that went right around the opening. As I said earlier, that people could come through it, but only if they were going to work with me in a positive fashion. And it was that simple, really. I was careful not to close people out because you can do that. But what good is that to you professionally if people feel they can't come up to your desk? It's not good at all. So, yeah, I kept it open for people to come in, but they played by my rules, I suppose. It's that magic pixie dust. <laughs> That's what it yeah. was. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, the intention really does have enormous power and it, it has the power to change the outcome. So when you do set up that energetic curtain or that energetic field, and it is a form of a protection field, it's also a realignment field. In my opinion, yeah, it's, it's more of a realignment field. It's like, if you're going to come through here, you get to come in a space of integrity and honor and respect. 
And I can hear people saying, what was that a spell? What was that exactly? And I don't believe in spells. I just, I believe in intentions. But what were some of the other outcomes? Did you notice that people who really couldn't abide that higher frequency just wouldn't come in? We had a pretty good team there, to be honest. So no, people came in. That was okay. I probably had more visits because they found it attractive, I think, to be honest. I do feel that calm is a very attractive energy. And that's really what I offered for people in that space. I can give you another thing that came out of it, which I found really interesting. And I'll just, I'll just preface this by saying that I, I come, always come from a position of wanting the best for people. It is naturally who I am. And this may sound as if it's not the case, but trust me, I do. I believe you. <laughs> what I was having was I was experiencing a colleague who was competitive with me. For some reason, I was a challenge to her. Yeah. And I realized that actually she had this sort of experience with a lot of colleagues. It wasn't just me. But I decided, you know what, rather than buy into what this sort of competition or conflict, even that the energy of her competition that she was setting up, I decided just to, and this sounds perhaps a bit wrong, but just to love her up, just to give her love. Yeah. Right. And I did. And she was so much happier. She was a bit confused. She didn't know quite. I don't think what was going on, but it was a really good thing because it made life easier for her and for me. And it was really simple, but it was quite intentional. You know, I would make sure that whatever she might've come up with or thrown at me or thrown at someone else, I just always dealt with it from a position of love and, you know, trying to understand. Don't you find though, that people who are difficult and especially those who are in competition have never had their needs met. And so when you fill them up with love, I love what you said, the the way that you said it, I just kind of loved her up, but sending that person the higher frequencies of love and respect. And sometimes it's hard to do when somebody's being nasty to you, but if you can just come from that space of maybe her cup is empty and maybe what I can do is provide that something that she needs so that all of our needs get met. And then we do end up in that win, win, win scenario and that opportunity so that everybody's the winner, you know, in work and then our clients as well. I remember also something similar being at at the phone company and, and we had all these incoming calls in small business and it was set up so oddly that you know, you were only supposed to take sales calls. You were graded on your sales calls, but not your customer service. And so if it wasn't a sales call, people would start transferring all these people back into the queue. And then, so all these customer service needs were not being met and people would be getting transferred 10, 15, 20 times. And by the time they got to you or to me, let's just say me, they would be just pissed. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) you know, because it literally would have been a two or three minute conversation and an easy fix, but nobody wanted to take that responsibility. So people would, then they'd be like, I've been transferred 20 times and I'm so, and I say, but you haven't talked to me yet. And I would start my day in that space of setting up that energetic field. And and I learned it the hard way. I actually learned it the hard way, but I found that if I did it, and it ended up being a game for me, setting up that field. And when somebody would drop in, you know, on the phone line, because they were automatic drop-ins and they would be just enraged, that would be the moment that I'd take a breath and I would just broadcast, send out this peace, calm, we can do this. And I'd say, you haven't talked to me. Tell me what's going on. And I'm sorry that that has happened to you. Let me fix this for you. What was funny is we were supposed to take X number of calls a day. And my calls were always half 
So I was constantly in trouble for that, but my sales were always in the top 10. And they're like, it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, of course it doesn't make sense. It's called customer service. It's called building relationships. It's called being there for the customer because the customer is always right. I had come from an entrepreneurial background rather than, you know, this bottom line corporate mentality. And so that never made sense to me. What made sense was relations, relationships and building goodwill and understanding your customer. How do you know what your customer needs unless you understand what their issues are? And my managers were constantly scratching their heads and people would hear me just laughing and having a good time. And it's like, you're having way too much fun over there. Well, yeah. <laughs> Why spend your day being cranky and ornery? That just, again, it doesn't make sense. Do you know, do you know what that does to your body? <laughs> That's amazing. Well done. That was quite a thing. Yeah. But I understand. And this is what I love about that intention setting and how people respond and how it impacts our bottom line, especially in the corporate world and in our businesses. But it also impacts our personal lives. So what else changed when you started turning things around? Well, you know, I managed to wangle a job that was just fantastic for me with quite a deal of autonomy and a great deal of importance at the time. I had the best time in that role, to be perfectly honest, in the end. And so did the people I was working with. In fact, quite often, like you, you know, the phone call sort of situation, I was working with uh, internally, but I'd have people say, oh, that was a really fun phone call. (laughs) And I thought, well, there you go. There's a parallel in this. Something about the energy of fun the energy of can do is better and more conducive to good outcomes. It's so attractive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk about intention. Intention is, you know, effectively what we put out. But then energy is part of that. And energy is really underpins every relationship. So many things, even, even you know, the energy of the sun is a thing. The energy of the light is a thing. The light that's shining in Mars at the minute. Energy is another thing which you can control. And you give an energy every time you speak with someone. Between us, there's an energy now. Yeah, absolutely. So I find it very important to remember that when you're dealing with people. When you're in crisis, though, when somebody's in crisis, it can be really difficult to shift that energy. What are some of the tips and the tools that you've used to shift that energy? I mean, you used the curtain, which was fabulous. I mean, what an awesome visual to kind of bring in, but also what are some of the other tips and tools for women and and men who might be in crisis when they're trying to find, you know, their way through a health issue or a partner issue? What would you recommend they do to pick themselves up off the floor? Well, I think that uh, the good old, we'll call it meditation, but let's not get too caught up in what that looks like or should be. Good old um, spending time reflecting on nothing. (laughs) It's that mind (laughs) silence. (laughs) Getting away from the chatter, that's right. Uh, just giving yourself, it's actually a gift to yourself from which you can gain strength and inner strength so that you can actually stand up and take the next battering without it being such a big deal. Uh, being devastating. There will be another battering. You know, I mean, when I say batterings are actually quite a, I don't like the energy of the word battering, but things come at us and we have to be able to deal with them. And life sometimes feels battering, especially right now in these challenging times worldwide, globally that we're living in. So it can feel very battering. It can feel very disruptive and very jarring. And that mind quieting is, you know, people get caught up in, oh, I have to do it this way or I have to do it that way. But I don't hear you saying that. Well, no. Um, Look, to be honest, I thought, oh, how do I go about this meditation thing? (laughs) 
and I set up a little space in my room. I mean, I you know Googled it and I got this notion, you have to do this and that. And that was cute. It was nice. <laughs> I had a good time. We laugh. <laughs> but, I know. But really, you don't need that. All you need is a phone, a set of headphones and a quiet place you can sit. And if you just listen to some music that you really like, that you find calming, I mean, it might be things like actually a lot of uh, classical music is good for this yeah. sort of thing and or meditation music. There's plenty online that is free and available. And 15 minutes of that when you're having a lunch break it will raise your energy to a happier place. It may not be right as happy as you wish it would be, but uh, it will improve situation for you. So that's one thing that you can do. To me, it feels like, because the brain is like a Ferrari or even a Rolls Royce. And if you run it around in first or second gear, it kills the engine. <laughs> you've got to stop and you've got to be able to switch gears and downshifting, allowing that downshift where the mind goes silent for a few moments is really allowing the brain to gear back up in a powerful way so that you're more productive. It resets all of the neurotransmitters and the chemicals in the brain and that chemical cascade throughout the body. So it also impacts the body in a powerful way. So I love my quiet time. It's just like, shh. I know. When you've gotten into the habit of doing it, and I think it takes about 21 days, really. Ask Deepak Chopra. He would yes. say 21 days to get in habit. And he offers uh, 21-day free meditation programs. So they're always a good thing. Well, I can recall doing his, that was how I started doing his. And at the end of it, I stopped for a few days. I thought, oh, I'm really missing that meditation. Where is it again? You know? And I went back to it. You know? Now, I'm not a, an everyday meditator, but I certainly use it for key things. And I do use it when I'm stressed or if I just feel like it. It's really lovely. And it's possible actually to go to what you're calling a quietening of the mind just by sitting in a park, you know, and not having music. It's, you know, listening to what's happening in a park or something. So it's not all about, you know, having a structured meditation regime. It isn't. But a lot of people think that meditation has to be very structured. And I love what you said. It's simply stopping. It's simply quieting the mind and allowing it to just not think just to be quieting the mind allowing it to be is i think what you're saying that works for me i actually have my music on really loud <laughs> drown out all the noise <laughs> that inner mind chatter <laughs> Shh, be quiet <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's actually that i enjoy the vibration uh, of yeah. it yeah and so you know my body enjoys it goes there and that way I do actually um, I get some great inspiration when I'm listening to loud music that's very cool yeah I also get great inspiration when I'm in the shower with the water running on my head <laughs> I, have, I have a friend that just started a podcast called inspirations from the shower <laughs> it's like Oh, yeah, I, I loved it. And the second tagline was don't drop the soap. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> uh, I think for all of us or a big portion of us, some of our best work is done in the shower. Or for me, it was always, you know, sitting in the bathtub and just kind of soaking and doing a lot of energy work on myself. So that was really my downtime too. give us one more tip. And then I want to talk about how you shifted out of this crisis point and into a really amazing relationship. Okay, one more tip. Oh, I know. Just trying to think of something. <laughs> Gee, there's so many things people like to do, but I love putting <laughs> you on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say crafts. 
strangely enough, I'm not really that crafty. I used to be, but I can't be bothered once I've conquered something, I go on to something else. But I actually really enjoy making candles of all things, which I use as well. So I make soy candles and I find that it's very quick. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's easy clean up and so on because it's soy. And I do that and I find that really nice. I suppose it just takes you away from the push, push, push of life and into that other side of the brain, really, to um, do something different. So how did you shift into this amazing new relationship? It's probably not new anymore, but... Well, it did come at a crisis time, and he and I were both in the same sort of place where our long-term 20-plus years marriages were just over, you know. It happens. And at the time, it was difficult to admit to see the gift in the first marriage, if you like, but now I absolutely do, and there were many of them. So we happened to meet, funnily enough, I think the universe tried to get us to meet about 15 years prior, when it turned out we both worked within about 200, I don't know what you say, yards in your case, apart or meters, whatever it is. We were both in hotels. I worked at a bar and he worked at the car park with a dog, security dog. And I had no idea. He was associated with the other hotel, but we shared a car park, right? Anyway, my colleague said, go outside and see this gorgeous dog, you know, German Shepherd. And I said, no, I'll go silly because I love dogs. <laughs> I don't want to make an idiot of myself. So I said, no, no. He said, it's all right. The guy's really nice. And, you know, he won't mind. I still said, no. I didn't go out. It was Jeff. That's hilarious. I didn't meet him until 15 years later. Wow. Mm. Wow. So during that crisis point, because I know that being in that crisis place and, and it's hard when there's a relationship that ends and, and you're trying to sort things through, it seems like the good relationships show up when you're not looking. Perhaps that was the case. And with a lot of things, I think things show up, good things show up. And one of the secrets is to be able to identify them as being an opportunity and then taking the opportunity. Yes not just being interested in it and saying, oh, that was funny, wasn't it? What a coincidence. The next question is, should I be doing something about that? Or what can I do about that? I remember my mother saying this, actually, the secret to like business or something is being able to recognize the opportunity and then act on it, you know? Anyway, we really weren't given much option to say anything, but we needed to be together because it was very clear after a a fairly short time, maybe three, six months. And it wasn't instantaneous. (laughs) We had a friendship for quite a long time before, you know, we thought that it would go somewhere else. Yeah. It's not always the case that you do meet this type of person. But for me, Jeff is so, his role is actually supporting what I'm doing now. I love that. Absolutely love that. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, how to kind of switch gears when you're in crisis. But when somebody's kind of lying on the floor, face down in the mud kind of energy. What do you recommend they do to pick themselves up? How do you start over? Because, I mean, there's tools and tips to get us through, you know, daily stuff. But when you're laying face down in the mud and you've been devastated, how do you pick yourself back up? Well, I can honestly say that I haven't been face down in Mm -hmm. the mud. I've tripped up, but my face has been up. So I say when things are really extremely challenging, it depends on the level of overwhelm as to whether you need, whether you can pick yourself up or you need someone else to help you. And I think it's key to ask for help or accept help if help is offered. There are so many good people in the world who will respond when they see someone in crisis 
And we're often too proud to accept that. That is so true. So how do you help people? Because you wouldn't be on this show if you didn't. (laughs) Okay. I have a view around well-being and it's specifically relating to the corporate space. Yes. Because there is a big movement around personal development, which doesn't really touch people in the corporate world. The sort of thing that we're talking about, energy work and psychic work, because it's actually largely targeted to people who are not in the corporate world. Now, much of it can apply to the corporate world, but to people who are corporate professionals, if it can be brought to them in a way which doesn't challenge their career prospects. That's the key piece. That's what I do differently. I want to help people, and I do help people, to stay in their career without losing their soul. I love that. Absolutely love that. So what does that look like? I mean, let's say I'm in the corporate world. I'm, you know, a mid or higher level manager and I'm struggling to get up in the morning and go because it just feels like my soul is being sucked out of my body. How could you help me? Right. Well, the first thing that we would do is to really address or try and identify what it is that's your key stumbling block, we'll call it. So it takes a bit of inner work to really identify what that is because uh, it can be covered up by other things. Well, typically this presents as struggle in the job itself, but it could be that you're struggling with your finances or that you're struggling with a health issue that you haven't really dealt with or something which you're in denial of in this moment because it's more convenient to just battle on, you know, which is what a lot of us do. I've done it. I've all done it. Yeah, yeah. Or it could be that, as I said earlier, that your values are so far mismatched to your organization that you need to find a way to deliver your organization's goals without feeling that it compromises your values. Mm -hmm. So addressing all these sorts of uncovering first what it is that's the issue and then giving you tools to work with those things can just gradually or rapidly, actually, in some cases, quite rapidly, shift you from that was a problem to, oh, that's not really a problem now. I've seen that happen in a day from a real problem, tears, I just don't know what to do about this, to actually, I went home and I had that phone call with that someone, you know, with a fairly key issue, and I was pretty calm about it. And I thought, wow, you know, it's a sort of achieving shift and really by giving you new ways of thinking of things, things you haven't thought of before, things that you may have been taught 200 years ago in some instances, but you're not taught right. now. And in other instances, some things that are just new. Well, I think it was Einstein that said you can't solve a problem from the same energies and thought, Well, and I am paraphrasing, mm. as what created the problem. So you know, helping people see from a fresh perspective is so powerful. So which of those areas that you just mentioned, which would you suggest that people focus on first? Well, I think typically it's health that is probably the first area that people can really make a difference in. Because even if the core problem is elsewhere, it's usually coming through as a health issue, whether it's lack of sleep or weight gain or all the other things that can happen. Right. <laughs> Many of right. them. Right. You know, doesn't really matter. I think that's the first thing that you can do that can be dealt with. And it's also fabulous to get support and to know that someone else is there with you on the way, on the journey, whether this is a parent or a sibling or a church minister or, you know, whatever. 
someone who will be there to listen. Well, and it also helps to have somebody as a sounding board because they can see a different perspective. When we're in the middle of something, we can't see the forest for the trees. And they call the blind spot for a reason because we're blind to it. Yeah. But other people can point out what is more obvious or more apparent when we, in fact, just can't see it. So getting to work with a very trusted mentor or minister or, you know, health care professional, whomever that is, a business coach, a, a corporate coach like yourself, I think is such a powerful, powerful thing to do. We're almost out of time. But if you had your time over, what would you do differently, Liz? Hmm. I don't think I'd do anything differently, to be honest. <laughs> and tell me why. Because people say that all the time. Okay. Okay. They do. Because there's so much learning in what you do. Every piece of success and failure, if you like to call it that, is an expansion of what you know and how to deal and what you're then next capable of. Right. So I'm very grateful to have had challenging times so that I know there's always a good in it. There's always yeah. a good in it. And perhaps I personally haven't had the most challenging times. I haven't. Um, and I would consider that loss of a child would probably be the That's most. That's significant. Yeah. I haven't had that, so I can't speak to that. But I find personally, the thing that I've changed about my behavior is I now challenge myself to the next thing. Uh, if I get comfortable, I go, well, it's nice to be comfortable, but no, that's a bit boring. Let's get on with the next. Now thing. what can I do? <laughs> now what do I want to experience and create? <laughs> that's a great place to be though. And it always keeps you fresh and alive. And that, to me, that really is what we're here for, is to explore and find new things and expand who we are and expand our own personal gifts and talents so that we can bring them to the world in fresh new ways and, and really help revolutionize the world. I think so. I agree with you completely. I think it's, uh, and it's also a gift, as you say, to others who really don't have the time to do this sort of work, explore, you know, push the boundaries, find new things. Absolutely. So tell people how they can get a hold of you. And you also have a free gift for people. Is that correct? I do. I do. Yeah, I do. So I'm very happy for people to email me directly because Anyone I work with, we'll have a conversation and, and establish fit. And so we might as well just talk. So the easiest way is to email me at liz at authenticadvancement.com. Okay. And my website is authenticadvancement.com, but that's actually not, I've just transitioned it. So it's not perfect at this minute. Also, I've created a bit of a PDF, which is um, about reconnecting with yourself and establishing focus for, for work and, you know, your pathway forward. And that's available at authenticadvancement.com forward slash three. That's the number three techniques. Definitely have that in our show notes for you so that people can get that. What would you like to leave our audience with as we close? I really hope that people are inspired to notice when they're being given a prompt to see when things are synchronistic or when they make you feel a certain way, instead of going, oh, that's interesting, go, oh, why did I get that information? Maybe I should be doing something with that. So that thing about recognition, that something might really matter to you, and you can tell if it matters by whether it feels in a way to you, rather than if you think about it. Two different ways of looking at life. You need to be feeling the outcome or the, the appropriateness of this thing and act on it. Have the courage to act. <laughs> 
that's a biggie because a lot of times we'll get a prompting and we're like, oh, but, 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 and that there's, you know, that, that, but ends up stopping us from following through and taking inspired action. Yes. And one other thing, and if you do miss it and you, you go, I should have picked that up. Don't, don't berate yourself for anything. You know, everyone's working as hard as they can, as well as they can. You just, when it comes around again, you might be ready for it at that time. Brilliant advice. That is absolutely brilliant advice because shame, blame, and guilt have really not a lot of value. Liz, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate this conversation and we welcome you all to subscribe, rate, review, and share this if you have enjoyed it. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. This has been the Epic Healing Transformations Podcast. Thank you for listening. If this episode has inspired or helped in any way, subscribe and then please rate, review it, and share it with all your loved ones. We appreciate you listening and hope you've had your own epic healing transformation today. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like her to answer on the air, let us know. Other listeners will appreciate the information too. Be sure to drop Michelle a line and share your thoughts, feelings, and experiences with her at Michelle at epichealingtransformations.com.